chapter 2 of Yirmiyahu. So first chapter we focused on the calling of Yirmiyahu, the initiation of Yirmiyahu. We contrasted it, of course, to the story of Moshe, who also, and Moshe much more than Yirmiyahu, complains, argues with God. At the end of the day, Moshe accepts his mission. In fact, when God first called Moshe, Moshe's response was Hineni. Hineni means I'm here for you. So we know that Moshe is going to accept the mission, but it has to be negotiated out, and that's the complicated negotiation that takes place in the Torah. Here, Yermio simply objects, I can't speak. I'm a nar. Don't worry about that. I'll tell you what to say. I'm going to protect you. And actually, in the first chapter, it also states what his mission will be. And that's very important as we study the book of Yermio to always remember what is the mission. The mission was found in chapter 1, verse 10. I appoint you this day over nations and kingdoms to uproot and pull down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. So he has two missions. One is to uproot and pull down, destroy and overthrow, that is to prophesy about the destruction. And those four verbs are negative. But then the last two, we've noticed Torah to build and plant. So it's not just about impending doom, not just about destruction. There is also building. And what's interesting is that his job is his appointment, about nations and kingdoms. So it's not just about Israel. And this is true of the prophets in general. The great prophets all have prophecies not only about Israel, but they have prophecies about the nation. An interesting distinction between Yirmiyahu and, say, for example, Yeshayahu and Yechezkel, that Isaiah and Yechezkel, Yeshayahu and Yechezkel, the prophecies about the nations are in the middle of the book. What's interesting to note is that the prophecies about the nations in the book of Yirmiyahu are located at the end of the book. Hopefully we will have an opportunity to think and to discuss uh, why that uh, might be the case. Or what, is, what, what, what can we infer from the fact that in the case of VMEO, the prophecy about the nations is at the end. But in point of fact, I have appointed you over nations and over kingdoms. That's his mission. His mission is largely to uproot, to pull down, but also to build. Now, we mentioned when we studied chapter 1, the contrast and the parallel to Moshe, but in truth, we have other examples of the calling of different people, prophets that are called both Yeshayahu and Yechezkel, the two other large prophetic tracts. There is a calling. Hopefully, when we get to Yechezkel, we'll study that. But I was thinking about somebody else who was called, and the calling of that person reminds me very much of the calling of Yirmiyahu in chapter 1, and that is not a prophet, far from it, but rather the character of Shimshon, Samson, who is called, as it were, prior to his birth. The story of Shimshon, which begins in the book of Judges, chapter 13, is about the angel, God's messenger, who encounters Shimshon's mother and instructs his mother not to drink wine, because your son will be a Nazir from the womb. Shimshon is a Nazirite 
before he's even born, in utero, which of course is directly contradictory to what the Torah says about the Nazarite. In the Torah, at least, the Nazarite takes a vow to become a Nazarite. You're not born a Nazarite. You take a vow, and the Nazarite vow, in the Torah at least, is for a limited amount of time. The Torah spends a fair amount of time describing in the book of Bamidbar how you end the vow, how you, how you complete your Nazaritic vow and return to your normal state. In the case of Shimshon, he is chosen before he is born. He's chosen, in the case of Shimshon, to fight God's enemies. He is to fight against the Philistines. He will begin, we are told, to bring redemption to Israel from the Philistines. So there we have a very striking parallel about someone who's born into a role. In the case of Shimshon, he's actually born into the role. He's a Nazarite in utero. In the case of Yirmiyahu, he's informed about it when he's older, when he's a young man, but he's told that the actual calling took place before he was born. And that's something very striking. The idea that you are born into a mission. And the mission in each case may be a very difficult mission, and the mission in each case may be a very unpleasant mission. The mission of Shimshon is to be a warrior, is to fight God's wars against God's enemy, whether Israel cares about it or not. And a reading of the Shimshon story makes it fairly clear that Israel doesn't care one way or the other about fighting the Philistines. On the contrary, at one point they even hand them over to the Philistines. But God cares. So it's, it's God cares, God appoints. In the case of Yirmiyahu, is to do God's work. And God's work is very difficult. Because God's work is going to cause you to make many enemies. In the book of Yirmiyahu, he has many enemies, all kinds of enemies. And in point of fact, these enemies try to kill him, try to harass him, imprison him. And we'll encounter this throughout the book of Yirmiyahu. But I think it's rather striking in terms of thinking about a man with a mission, which is the story of Yirmiyahu and a difficult mission, very difficult, as we will see in our study, the striking parallel to Shimshon, to Samson, the great warrior, chosen before he's born to do God's work and difficult work it is, work that isolates him from everybody. Of course, from his own Jewish community, doesn't even have a Jewish community, isolated from that, and of course the Philistines are his enemy. And Yirmiyo is similar in that respect, isolated from his own people, from the other priests. He is a priest. We'll encounter that as well. His own priests want to kill him. The king wants to kill him. The other prophets want to kill him. This is the setting of the book of Yirmiyo. Let's turn now to the second chapter. By Hidvar Hashem Mar, the word of God came to me. Haloch v'karata Mar. Go and proclaim to Jerusalem, says God. Ko amar Hashem, thus says the Lord. Zocharti lo chesed nu'urayich avat kulotayich. Lechtech acharai b'amidbar b'yeretz lo zeruah. God says, I account to your favor the devotion of your youth. Your love is a bride. You followed me into the wilderness in a land not sown. And the second verse, Kodesh Yisrael Hashem reshit tuato. Israel is holy to God. The first fruits of God's harvest. The first fruits are typically dedicated to God. 
given to the priest. Whoever consumes it shall be held guilty. The portion that is set aside for God, whether a sacrificial portion or the portion from our fruits, truma, bikurim, is eaten by the priest. No one else is permitted to eat it. Whoever eats it is accounted guilty. Yeshamu. All who eat it are held guilty and disaster will befall them, says God. So, here it's interesting that despite the fact, and we see this often in the book of Yirmiyot, despite the fact that fundamentally the prophecies are directed against Israel, Israel is held accountable and will be punished with terrible punishments. Nonetheless, there is a sense in the book throughout that God has still has feelings for Israel. It varies from chapter to chapter, but over here, Israel is holy. There's something about Israel in there. God remembers. So, God remembers the early commitments of Israel. And that, in fact, Jeremiah, who's a priest, talks about Israel as being holy. And holy things may must be protected. And holy things can't be eaten by anybody or consumed. Whoever consumes it will be held accountable, and that's a theme we'll encounter again in the book of Yirmiyahu. This verse, in the beginning of chapter 2, Zacharti Lachesed Nuraich, of course, is one of the verses that we recite in the traditional liturgy of Rosh Hashanah. The middle section of the Rosh Hashanah service is called Zichronot Remembrances, and there are three verses from the prophetic writings about remembrance, the first of which is this verse from Yirmiyahu, God is remembering. Remembering in the liturgy is something that speaks of God's concern for, commitment to, love towards Israel. So So that's very positive. The second chapter begins that way with but the remainder of the chapter consists of very strong critiques of Israel. And one of the critiques of Israel that appears throughout chapter 2 has to do with God may remember what Israel did in the beginning of our history. But Israel seems to have forgotten. For example, verse number 4. Verse number 3 speaks about Thus says the Lord why did your uh, ancestors, what did they find in me wrong? They abandoned me. They went after delusion and were deluded. They didn't say, where is the God? They didn't speak of the God who took us out of Egypt. Who guided us through the desert. The land of deserts and pits, drought and darkness. They didn't remember that. A land that no human being had traversed, where no human being had dwelt. So God's the chapter begins by saying God is remembering. God remembers those early days, but in fact, Israel seems to have forgotten. That very fact of traversing, God remembers entering into the desert, but Israel seems to have forgotten walking through the desert, how God is, had guided us through the desert. And because we forgot, we, we, we 
we attached ourselves to things of no value, to hevel, to delusion. And this is the theme that appears later in chapter 2 as well. Verse number 13 of chapter 2. My people have done two evils. They abandoned me, says God. The fount of living waters. And hewed them for themselves cisterns. Borot nishbarim, broken cisterns, which cannot even hold water. So there's a double critique over here. First of all, the abandonment of the God who has protected us, who has delivered us from slavery, who brought us through the desert, who protected us in this desert, in this difficult place. So forgetting that is problematic. But on top of that, to abandon God for something which itself has no value. That's one of the main themes of chapter 2. Shtayim ra'ota saw me, the people have done two evils. It's interesting to note, finally, that in chapter 2, one of the terms that appears many times in chapter 2, one of the words that appears many times in chapter 2, is the word derech. For example, in verse 17, and there are many examples in chapter 2, ha'rozot ha'selach, ozveichat Hashem elohayich, v'yet morichech v'aderech. The prophecy that appears earlier about desolation, the land is desolate, very common theme in Yirmiyahu. Why is this happening? Because we abandoned the God, while God led you in the way. What is your point of going to the path to Egypt? Or why go to Assyria? The book of Yirmiyahu, which spans several kings, and the beginning of the prophecies of Yirmiyahu are at a time when Assyria to the north and Egypt to the left are the two main powers. In the course of Yirmiyahu's prophecy, of course, emerges the power, the main power, and the main nation in the book of Yirmiyahu, apart from Israel, of course, is Babylonia, Bavel, the Buchanetzar, who will destroy the temple. So the book is set in this historical period where first it's Assyria and Egypt to the north and south, and then Babel becomes prominent. So this prophecy over here is referring to the attempts that are made at some point, because the chronology of Yirmiyahu is very unclear. But at some point, Israel is making political decisions, political alliances with Egypt, with Assyria, sometimes to counter the Babylonian influence. And Yermiel says that path, that's the wrong path to take. That's a fundamental theme of the book of Yermiel that we will encounter. So it's all about what path we take, what road we walk. God remembers the path we took many, many years ago, the path into the desert. We seem to have forgotten what happened afterwards, the path through the desert and beyond.